Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. Could you please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22? And we are in the habit of not putting the scripture on the screen to encourage you to turn there in your own Bibles. So grab one of those Bibles on your table. That's what they're there for. Turn to the New Testament, to the first book. It's Matthew. And then turn towards the end of the book of Matthew, chapter 22. And we're going to read a parable. This is the parable of the wedding banquet. Or as some of us, we we have uh, these meetings as Sunday school leaders we get together and talk about the month's topic, and we talked about this parable. We renamed it the parable that escalates quickly, as you will see. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. You'll want to look at it in your own text. I think that's like the third time I've told you, get your Bible out, get it open to this passage. We'll discuss this passage at your tables in just a second, so it's well worth looking at with your own eyes. Matthew 22, verse 1 says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Pretty cool party, don't you think? King and his son, wedding. Verse 3, the king sends out his servants to those who had been invited, so they're already invited, to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Why would they refuse to come? Well, we'll we'll interpret this a little bit later, Um, but it's a question right now. Verse 4, Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5 says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Well, that escalated pretty quickly. Then the king was enraged. He sent his army to destroy those murderers, and he burned their city. It escalates pretty quickly. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet's ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go into the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with the guests. So here's this party. They're probably doing the chicken dance and other things they do at weddings. Everyone's uh, dressed alike because verse 11 says, but the king came into the, to see the guests. He noticed a man who was there not wearing the wedding clothes, like the guy that shows up to your wedding that's just wearing a t-shirt. It's this guy. He asked, how dare you? How'd you get in here with these wedding clothes, without the wedding clothes on? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That escalated pretty quickly. And then Jesus says this, the final stinger, for many are invited, but few are chosen. How many of you are familiar with that parable? About half, or maybe a little more. So the other half of you are like, what in the world is this story about? And maybe some of you that raised your hand are like, yeah, I've heard it before, but, but really, what in the world is this parable about? Well, today we'll talk about how to interpret parables, and let's go before the Lord and ask Him for His wisdom Father, we come before you, Lord, we do just that. We ask you for wisdom, that we may be the hearers, that we may be the people who listen and understand. Lord, show us today how to interpret your words in the Bible, specifically the words of this parable. We're going to look back at it, and Lord, give us wisdom and insight. Open our hearts 
in our minds that, that, Lord, we would be like the willing guests that come and we give you honor and we conform to what you want and your will. So we praise you, we worship you, and everybody said, amen. All right, well, we're going to talk about the parables of Christ, specifically that parable, specifically how to interpret parables. And I have a parable for you. I imagine that the people listening to Jesus' parables for the first time probably heard these parables and had no idea, no context for what was going on. So this parable might seem kind of confusing for you. This is my parable of the rabbit. I kind of stole it from somebody else and changed it for me. But uh, once upon a time, a pastor comes to church on a Sunday morning to the World Prayer Center, and it was really cold, wicked cold out, like negative negatives. And he looks outside, and he sees a bunny, which I see a bunny right now. Do you see that little bunny right there by the, uh, that's a big bunny. You see that bunny? Um, so the, on this really, really cold day, there was a bunny out in the middle of that sidewalk right there. And so the pastor thought, oh, what am I going to do? This little bunny looks like it's freezing to death. The pastor goes outside, is able to walk all the way up to the bunny. So you know something's really wrong when you're able to get that close to a wild animal. He's able to pick up this freezing, cold, shivering little bunny. He's like, what am I going to do? So he comes back inside and he's holding this bunny. He's like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't set it down. It's going to get loose and distract everybody. So he says, I'm going to put it in my pocket and warm it up, hold it close to my body. And then he realizes as soon as this rabbit like comes back to life, it's going to go crazy and run around the room. And so he's like, oh, what can I do? I can't, I can't, I don't have time for this. I have to get ready. I'm going to speak. There's coffee to brew. There's things to be done. There's, uh, I need to do this and that. I need to set up the room. I need to make sure the mics work. I need to uh, get the, the, the projectors working. I need to do all this stuff. I, I don't have the time right now to take care of this bunny. So he thought, maybe I've warmed it up enough. Um, it's, it's looking a little better, but it's still looking really cold. But he said, I can't, I can't do anything else. I don't have the time. So he goes outside the door, puts the bunny back. On the sidewalk, it covers it with a few little uh, grass clippings to try to keep it warm. And then, out of nowhere, a fox comes out of that bush, grabs the bunny, and takes it away. He who has an ear, let him hear. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, what in the world is the interpretation of that parable? And I imagine Jesus telling parables like that, telling the parable like of the banqueting table that it like escalates quickly and people just sitting there going, oh my gosh, what is this about? What is the interpretation of this horrible little story you just told? And then once you begin to talk about uh, what it means, oh, things begin to make sense. And so are you wondering what that bunny parable means? Are you just thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, the poor little bunny? Um, well, here's what the parable could mean. And I just made it up. Actually, I kind of stole it from somebody else, but then, but then twisted it and made it my own. Um, but the interpretation is something like this, that I, it's a parable for me. It's a parable for pastors. It's a parable, it's like there's people that come to church that are in great need. They come really needing a word from the Lord. They come really needing a, a pastoral conversation. And sometimes I see these people and I feel like I don't have time for them. It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure my laptop is ready. In fact, right now I'm thinking, oh, my laptop doesn't have a power supply. I need a power supply. Um, I'm thinking about like, oh, my name tag. Where's my name tag at? I'm thinking like, oh, we gotta brew coffee. And I don't take the time to spend with a person really in need. So the parable of the bunny is a parable for me. To, to say, slow down. It's really about, you know, the life and death of this Christian and the wolf that, or what did I say, the fox that comes out of the bush, that would be like the devil that comes and takes away believers that are on the verge or, or non-believers that are on the verge of really needing help and, and then a pastor like me who's too busy 
and, and doesn't take time to be with that person. Does that make sense now? You're like, okay, that, I guess that's okay. That's cool. But I imagine people sitting around listening to Jesus' parables just being as confused as you were right before I explained the parable. So we're going to go into depth into this particular parable of the wedding banquet and try to explain it and give some bigger, broader tools for all biblical interpretation. So welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, oh, we and have you stand up and tell us your worst sin? <laughs> just kidding. Uh, we have a guest card for you. Uh, you can fill it out if you want. If you check a, a box saying, I want to call or I want an email, I personally will call you or email you, tell you more about the mill, tell you more about college, 20-somethings ministry here at New Life. And, and, and you could give it to the people as you leave right in, there in the back, and they'll give you a gift. And today, when you go over to the main service today, there is like a party um, going on because New Life Church is 30 years old today. Um, and so there's a video today and, and the, uh, during the, the next service that you need to see. It's like a recap of 30 years, and it really honors our founders, and it really honors New Life Story. And so that's pretty cool. So that's today's announcements. <clears throat> and then a really cool announcement for college and 20-somethings is the winter retreat. What, what? So end of this month, uh, the last, I think it's in, if you, depending on how you count your weeks, it's in three weeks. Uh, we're going to go Friday night, Saturday, and then sun, there'll be no Sunday school on February the 1st. And it's a retreat where there'll be lots of fun. Like there's a tubing hill and we'll all play games together. And there's like a hot, uh, heated pool, uh, and a gym and Jesse B, where is he? He's going to lead a swing dancing thing one night. Um, lots of fun. But the, the real thing I want to push on this retreat is what we're going to be doing. So we're calling it Magnified. And we're going to have some speakers. Daniel Grothy is going to be there. Me, Adam Molesky, Aaron Meadows is going to lead worship for us. And we're all going to focus in on the Lord. Um, and, and all the talks, all the worship will be focused in on who God is. He's awesome. He's great. He's huge. He's magnificent. And we're going to magnify our hearts, magnify Him in our own hearts and minds during this retreat. And, and so it's not, a re- I've been to really great retreats that are like lots of help, self-help, lots of breakouts on like how to get your life right in this area or that area. And that's all really good. I've been to those retreats and that's awesome. This retreat is, let's just go and let's focus on the Lord. Let's, let's bring him worship. And Lord, if you want to do something in our hearts, that's okay. If you don't, we're going to come and we're going to worship you anyways, because you are holy and you are awesome and you are glorious. So does that sound like fun to you? Does that sound good? Okay, it might not sound fun, but it, sound, it should sound really good, um, and it should sound really honoring to the Lord, and that's how we want it to be. So, retreat stuff. If, you're, if you want more information, come talk to me, or Victoria's back there. Hi, Victoria. There she is. She's really cool. She's been like, an, like a super admin helping with registration and the, uh, getting the website up and all that stuff. So, she has information. She could even register you with her little iPad, iPod thing, iPad. <laughs> Anyways. Let's talk about parables. First, a warning about parables. I have heard silly Christians give silly interpretations of parables that verge on heresy. And you're like, whoa, where'd you get that? Why, why are you, that, that's just wrong. That's heretical. Christians don't believe that. Where'd you get that? It's like, well, Jesus says it in this parable. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He doesn't say that. He says this, and this parable is to be interpreted in the historical context by which it was given. You're way off. So a warning about what we're doing today and maybe just a call to importance, like what we're doing today is very important. We've said that one-third of all the things Jesus says are in the form of a parable, one-third. And so if we 
don't know how to interpret these things if we just look at the parable of the wedding banquet and like, wow, that escalated quickly. Let's move on. And then we don't feel like there can be anything we can learn from or we don't know how to learn from it or we take it and we twist it into our own thinking. Well, that's a warning. That's hence the warning symbol. So let's look at this parable. Uh, we just read it. If you, if you came in a little late, I'll recap it very quickly. Here's a picture of it. Um, a king has a son and he, his son is getting married and he throws a big wedding feast. And so people were already invited, it kind of says. And the servants go out and say, the party is now. It's party time. Um, and um, the people that were invited say, nah, we don't want to go. So the king resends the servants. And then they get beat up and some of them get killed. So you have to think like, what in the world? Okay, we could just laugh and say, well, that escalated quickly. Or we could say, okay, what's Jesus trying to say in this parable where servants go out and invite you to a party and you kill them. Say, hey, Joe, you want to come to my birthday party? I'm going to kill you. And it's like, what? You, they would have to, in my mind, it's like, okay, let's, let's get to the meaning of that. Let's get to the bottom of that story. So then the king sends an army and destroys that city. And then the king says, servants, go out and invite anybody you want. Like, just go out and start saying, there's the king is throwing a party for his son, a wedding feast. The fattened cow has been killed and there's a huge party. Anybody can come. Come on in. And so people come in, and then there's somebody there that's not wearing the wedding clothes. And so the king says, who's this guy? He even uses, he says, who's, who are you, my friend? And how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The guy's speechless. He's tied up, thrown outside where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pretty interesting parable. So what I want you to do is to look at it. I told you we were going to look at it. Um, so at your tables, uh, assign somebody Well, maybe you don't need to reread it. We've already read it. We've already recapped it. Maybe just what does this mean? Who are the different people? There's the son, the king, the servants, the the people that beat up the servants. There's the guy that comes that isn't dressed right. What in the world does this mean? And some of you, this is the first time. So there's only half of you raised your hand. Some of you are hearing this parable for the first time. And so what I want you to do is put on your creative thinking caps and like, okay, what could this parable mean? We're going to go into detail on uh, how we should interpret this parable. But I just, I think we're going to get lots of different responses right now, which is okay. Um, so how could we interpret the lesson in this parable? Would you discuss that with the people at your table? Ready, cassette, discuss. All right, I'm going to interrupt you. Hopefully you've come, you've said a couple different things. Um, I heard a lot, I walked around and got lots of great ideas. Uh, Aaron Meadows, uh, a girl named Morgan, she said, oh, this is a futuristic interpretation. I thought, oh, that's a really good interpretation of what the kingdom is. Uh, let's see, Lance. Lance was saying, oh, the guy in the, in not wearing the wedding clothes is someone that like, is kind of a Christian but has rejected Christ ultimately. And uh, lots of ideas like that. And uh, a few variations of those ideas. Um, so let's look at how do, we, how do we go about correctly interpreting this parable? How do we know that what, how we're interpreting it is the best way that we can? We can't know everything. We're not there sitting asking Jesus afterwards, Jesus, what do you mean by this and that and that? Um, we're not there, but we do have the Word of God before us, and we, can, we do have tools of interpretation of the Bible. So how do we correctly interpret the Bible? Um, and this is kind of like backing out and saying, okay, how do we in- interpret any passage of the Bible, not just parables? And I'm going to give you uh, four different types. There may be more, but these are the four really popular 
types of interpretation uh, throughout all of Christianity, throughout church history, throughout denomination lines, throughout the Catholics, the Protestants, the Eastern Orthodox, the Baptists, the Presbyterians. Like, we could all zoom out and say, oh, okay, you guys usually lean this way. We usually lean this way. Here's some, this is like backing out, like bird's eye, bird's eye. This is like the plane's eye of the bird's eye of the Bible. How do we interpret it? So there's four of them. And on your notes, there's four little spaces. And if you wanted to write them down, you certainly could. The first one is a, uh, I'm calling, and this is, this is just me and kind of overviewing. This isn't like the four. This, these are my, like I, I see these again and again and again throughout church history and denomination lines. The first one is a prayerful allegorical interpretation. I hear this all the time. It's when someone comes up to you and says, uh, I prayed about this passage, and here's what God showed me in it. Can you believe it? And it's like, oh, I've been ministered to, and this is a great, I've been encouraged. This is what this passage mean, means the Lord has shown me. I'm like, great, that's good. That's a strength to this form of interpretation. Praying about it, asking God to show you. So maybe you did that at your table. Maybe there was some uh, a table or two There's like, let's ask the Lord real quick. Let's see if he will show us in our hearts what this could mean. And that's a prayerful, allegorical interpretation. The strength is it speaks right to you right in this moment. The weakness is, well, there's probably a hundred of us in here. We could all, we could all have a different interp- interpretation. We could have 100 different interpretations of what this banquet means. And some of them could be bad interpretations. Some of them could be hereticals. Like, whoa, but I prayed about it. Bro, you need to pray again because this is just clearly heretical. Um, so that's, that's a true weakness of, of just interpreting the Bible this way. The next one uh, is tradition of the early church. This is the one that uh, like our brothers and sisters, the Eastern Orthodox, maybe some Catholics would rest upon, say, uh, how, how do we interpret this passage of Scripture? Well, let's look at the people who lived closest to Jesus. Let's look at some of the writings of the people that knew the apostles, uh, people that were killed for being uh, martyred for proclaiming this belief, people that were formed the church, people, like I think of Irenaeus, who was born in like 130 AD, and you're like, oh, that's quite a bit removed from Jesus. But Irenaeus was one of Polycarp's disciples, and Polycarp was one of John the, John the Beloved's disciples. And so here you have like John's gospel, and you have a disciple of John himself who was probably able to ask questions of John. Like, what do you mean here and there? Uh, that's Polycarp. Then you have a disciple of Polycarp, Irenaeus, who is like, oh, these are direct descendants, I'm using air quotations, of, of the disciples that knew Jesus personally. And so it's like, oh, they, they might have some wisdom and some light to shine on this passage because they're friends of friends of friends of literal Jesus on earth. Um, so that, that's one way of saying, like, how do we interpret this? Well, let's go back in history. How has the early church or the, the forefathers and mothers that have gone before us, how have they interpreted it? And, of course, the strength in this is that, oh, we get closer to the apostles. The weakness is that, well, sometimes they contradicted each other, and sometimes they didn't comment on a particular passage. So if we're looking at the banqueting table, we'd have to try to find their writings. Did, they, did anyone write on this? Well, well, maybe no one really wrote on it that we have. And maybe, the, or maybe there was two writers, and they kind of contradicted. What do we do with that? Well, that's, that's a weakness to this type. The third type I want to give you is the authority of the church. And uh, our Catholic friends, brothers and sisters, our Catholic friends, they would say, oh, they totally rest on the authority of the church. The church tells them what this interpretation means. And if you're not sure, you could, you could talk to, uh, look at what different popes, our cardinals have written on these matters. 
And there, there it is. And we as Protestants do this as well, um, maybe not as clearly, but we often will look at a passage and say, what does this mean? And then somebody will pipe up and say, oh, well, C.S. Lewis says this. Or, oh, well, N.T. Wright says this. Or you might even say, oh, well, Brady Boyd taught on this a couple weeks ago, and he said this, and he has some authority in the church, and so um, we'll, we'll go with that interpretation. Or humbly, some of you might even say, oh, well, Joe Kirkendall taught on this, and he said this. And, of course, the strength to that is that it's, it's speaking right here, right now, uh, to us, to our situation. But a weakness, of course, would be, well, I have made mistakes. I, I make mistakes every day. And so I, on the account of you giving me church authority, because I'm teaching, could have made a mistake when interpreting this passage. So how do we interpret? There's strengths and weaknesses to all three of these. The fourth one I want to give you is the best one, and it has some big words. Are you afraid of big words? No, because you're the nerds, and this is the nerd alert. <laughs> Here they are, exegesis and hermeneutics. I'm, I'm going to argue that this fourth one is the best one. And I think if you could learn Starbucks terms like vente, frappalapa, ding dong, chino, things, <laughs> you could learn big church words. If you could learn those words, learn these words. Um, so exegesis means, if you're writing this down for later, to impress your friends. And uh, exegesis is what the Bible says. So you'd be doing Greek word studies, Hebrew word studies, be looking at uh, the grammar of the sentence and, and what the therefore is therefore kind of things. That's exegesis. Hermeneutics is what the Bible means. So you'd be doing historical studies, the, the study of genre, setting. Who wrote this book? Who, to whom did they write it to? Um, let's get into the setting, the details of this passage. Imagine we are in the context of Jesus himself telling this parable. How would we have interpreted it back then? And then how can we interpret it for today in 2015, because this sentence, which is the sweet quote of the day on the back of your notes, um, I don't know who originally said this, but it's been around quite a while. It sounds kind of shocking, like that's not something you should say in church, but if you think about it, it really is. So let me explain. The, the statement is the Bible is not written to us. You're like, whoa, what do you mean? But it's written for us. And I've said this before, this is kind of a nerdy, exegetical, hermeneutic thing to say. This lesson, this whole lesson, by the way, is pretty nerdy. So I thank you for paying attention. It looks like everyone's actually awake today, so that's great. Um, uh, the book of Corinthians, is that written to New Life Church, Colorado Springs, 2015? No, you say, oh, it's written literally to the city of Corinth. The church is meeting in Corinth, probably somewhere around 50 to 60 A.D., from Paul, and we could even clue, clue in to the book of Acts, is Paul's probably writing from Ephesus back to the Corinthians, encouraging them and rebuking them in some cases. So is it written to us? No, not literally. But is it written for us? Of course it is. But we need to go back and do historical context, look at this parable, and not just imagine ourselves as one of the hearers of Jesus originally, but like, really, like, what does that mean? When Jesus says this phrase, what did that mean to a first century Jew? When Jesus says that phrase or, or says it like this, what do you think he means? And we should need to go into the context of this parable. So very quickly, with the rest of the time we have left, I'm going to give you five points of, of interpreting parables. We're, we're, we took the plains view of the bird's eye view. Now we're like going down to like a, uh, the bird's view of parables. How do we interpret parables? I'm going to give you five points 
Um, once again, these are just my five points. They're not the five points of interpreting parables, but they're very helpful points for getting clues out of particularly this parable of the wedding feast so that we can understand it and not come to it with um, heretical interpretations or bad interpretations. So, the first one is this, number one, the context of the parable in the gospel. If we just take this parable out and read it like we did, we could be missing some clues. And we learn in Matthew 21, this is right before Jesus tells the parable, that he's hanging out with the Pharisees and the chief priests, and they were finding a way to arrest him. And after the parables, after this parable is said, the parable of the wedding feast, there's this one-liner that says, then the Pharisees went out to trap him in his words. Those are pretty big clues as to why, you know, we all laughed and said, wow, that, that parable escalated pretty quickly. But he's not telling this parable to a, a quiet little library of kids eagerly listening. He's telling this parable to some people that want to arrest him, to some people that want to trap him, to some people who are ultimately going to get him killed on the cross. So there's the parable, you're like, oh, well, that, that makes sense as to why people are getting punished and people are getting beaten and people are killed and, and this king sending an army. That makes more sense now. The context of this parable is one of people trying to arrest him. Make sense? You're like, yeah, okay, that's some clues. Who is the parable to? That's the next point of um, what we should think about when we're listening to the parables of Jesus. Is this parable told to a bunch of nice, uh, respectfully listening farmers with dirty hands uh, folded uh, and, and just listening politely to this parable? Well, some of the parables were, but this particular parable is, is cued in right to the chief priests and to the Pharisees. It shines some light on who the invited ones are in this parable, don't you think? It's like the king has a feast, uh, People were invited. Now the servants go out to tell of this king's great feast. It's like, who are the people that, that reject the message? Well, Jesus has other conversations with the Pharisees, the chief priests. It's like, well, it's probably them. How many of you thought that when you were at your tables? You're like, the, oh, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they're probably the ones that were invited and did not come. Anybody? Okay, a couple hands. That's probably the case. If we, if we step back and we're like, okay, here's the clues. Jesus is telling the parable to the Pharisees, well, they're probably the ones that have been invited and did not come. Here's another clue that's really helpful. Number three, read it, read the parable in all the Gospels. This one that we read is in Matthew and in Luke. If you want to flip over there, you can. I'm just going to refer to it very quickly. It's in Luke chapter 14. <coughs> Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 23. It's a much shorter version. Jesus, at this point, so maybe he tells it twice throughout his ministry. Maybe he tells it a lot more. <clears throat> uh, we don't know. We have it recorded twice. Jesus is a, is, says he's at a house of a well-known Pharisee, and they are just fighting over what seat they're all going to take. It's that, it's that when Jesus, they're like fighting over who's the greatest, who's going to have the head seat, and they're fighting over it. Jesus tells this parable to the Pharisees in a Pharisee's house. And the version is, is a little shorter. It doesn't have the version of the guy showing up in wedding, not in wedding clothes. This version says, uh, a man throws a wedding, a feast. <clears throat> he bought an ox, uh, or he, he kills the fatted cows. He throws this party, goes out and calls people, saying the party's ready. And they all give him different excuses. Oh, I bought a field. I just got married. 
I just bought an ox and I can't come. So then Jesus says, the parable, uh, the servants go out and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. And if there's still anyone, still room left, go out and invite anyone. And this particular parable told to the Pharisees at a Pharisee's house, it's like, oh, here's these people, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And I need to clarify something because when, when you hear the word Pharisee, do you think good guy or bad guy? Bad guy, every one of you probably. Um, but in the early church, uh, in the first century, Pharisee was a really good guy. They were, the, they were the leaders. They were the ones that studied the scripture. And Jesus is saying, you've been invited you did not come. So guess what? Now we're going to invite anybody, specifically the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, the unclean. And then when there's still room left, go out and invite anybody to come into the kingdom. And of course, I see this parable as God, the king, throwing a banquet for the son, Jesus. And of course, every parable doesn't make uh, exact theological sense. It's a story that portrays a theological lesson. But this next point, point number four, is probably the most important, the historical context of the parable. Not how we would read it, but how would the first century person read it? And if a king threw a banquet, if a, th- if a king threw a wedding, would you want to go or would you not want to go? Raise your hand if you would not want to go. Okay, good. You would want to go, especially in the first century. Like how many of you, uh, how many of you went to a wedding this year? It's like everybody. How many of you were in a wedding this year? How many of you, if you were kind of honest, you'd say, I've probably been to one too many weddings this year. You're like, I don't, I don't. your friend's like looking at you. It's like, oh, not your wedding though. I liked your wedding. But I, there's, there's a lot of weddings and we in our culture be like, oh, it's just one more wedding. It's, you know, but in the ancient culture, people didn't sit down and have a feast like the one described here every weekend. Cows were not killed for just any party. This is not like, hey, I'm going to take you out somewhere really nice. I'm going to take you to Denny's. No, this is like a feast. This is an age before refrigerators and freezers. And so if you killed a cow, you, that, it, was like, it was like, we're going to kill this cow and we're going to eat this cow with, before the meat goes bad. We are going to throw a raging party for everyone. And this is going to be awesome. So why wouldn't you want to come? Well, it, in this parable, you didn't want, not only did people not want to come, but the servants that talk about the party and invite people are killed. So something bigger is going on here. People listening to this particular parable with Jesus, the Pharisees, wanting to arrest them. In my mind, it's like, oh, this, this is so many clues now. What's going on here is the, the Pharisees, the chief priests, the religious leaders have been invited, but do not come to the kingdom of God that is in Jesus. They've rejected him. It's like, oh, that, that makes a lot more sense now. <clears throat> These, th- this phrase, killed the servants, uh, Morgan pointed this out at Aaron Meadows' table. She said, oh, this is similar to Jesus' lingo. He says it a couple times. And in Acts, uh, Stephen says this, like, you are the ones who have killed the prophets. That's a pretty common line throughout the New Testament of referring back to the Old Testament and saying, you are the ones who have killed the prophets. Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how have I wanted to gather you like a hen? You are the ones that killed the prophets. Very similar lingo here as to the servants going out and inviting people to the king's wedding feast and getting beaten up and then killed. 
So it's like, oh, okay, I, I, this is more clues. This is good. The, the Pharisees, the ones who have studied the Old Testament, are so close to God, but they're rejecting the Son. They're rejecting the kingdom of God, and they're even killing the servants that are proclaiming the kingdom. And you're like, oh, this is all beginning to make a lot of sense. Nod your head if it's all beginning to make a lot of sense. Okay, good. It helps when we know some of these things. It's like, oh, okay, that makes, that makes more sense. And this particular parable is a double feature. It has the parable of the invited servant, inviting servants getting beaten. King, king's army takes out the city. And then it has this much shorter little sub-parable of this guy that shows up not wearing the wedding clothes. Now, we live in Colorado where <clears throat> if you say something is formal, is it really formal? No, it's not. It's like you could wear, just wear your nice T-shirt. <laughs> That's not really what we, we had a conversation. Our leadership team had a conversation about this parable on, when, when did we meet? Wednesday? Thursday or something? Uh, Wednesday. Tuesday? Wednesday? Wednesday. And, and somebody, there was a couple people that actually got really mad. It's like, no, I hate it when that guy, that guy shows up not dressed up for a wedding in, in his t-shirt and everybody else has suits on. It's disrespectful. It kind of is. It's like, well, yeah, if you just show up in your t-shirt and sweats to a wedding, you're saying something about what you think of the bride and groom and their little party. It's like, ah, it's not enough to get dressed up for. So it is somewhat of a slam. But in this culture, in this ancient culture, uh, they're not in Colorado. This is an ancient culture where many people uh, interpreting this parable have said, oh, they must have been given the wedding garments to wear upon coming in because the servants go out into the streets. Are people wearing wedding clothes in the streets? No, they're wearing their, I don't know what you wear in the street. You're just wearing your street clothes. So you get invited to a wedding. Of course, you're not going to have street clothes. You're, you're probably going to be given the clothes to wear. And somebody there has the audacity to not wear the clothes that they were given. It's kind of, in my mind, it's kind of like uh, graduation from high school or college. You were given a gown. Actually, you probably had to buy it, though, didn't you? You, you, you have to buy, but then you're required to wear the gown if you're going to graduate. If you show up and don't have the gown, are you going to walk? No, you're not going to walk. It's like, no, you can't walk. You were, you're supposed to have a gown. You're not going to walk. Or if you were like, oh, I have the gown, but I'm going to decorate it. Like I was in the honor society, so I want to sew on my little honor society pin. And I was an Eagle Scout, so I want to put a little Eagle Scout thing over here. And I was uh, the, the chairman for the something, something. So I'm going to put this big sign on me that says, oh, I'm distinguished. And then you show up to the graduation and the person in charge sees you. What are they going to say? They're going to say, take that stupid stuff off and conform to be just like everyone else because this is, you know, it's respecting the school. It's respecting your parents. Everyone needs to conform. So that, in my mind, it's like, oh, that's what, that's kind of what's happening here, but not exactly. So we don't know. The man is speechless when the servants come up to him and say, hey, why aren't you in the, the, the wedding clothes? The man is speechless. So we don't know. It could have been, uh, and many of us assume, and, and this, it may be the best assumption that this man was just like in his street clothes and filthy, but it could have been, since this parable is to the Pharisees, maybe Jesus said, you know, pointed to one of the Pharisees and said this, and someone wasn't in the right clothes, and maybe he pointed to a Pharisee in their regalia of uh, pharisaical, is that a word? Pharis, almost said pharmaceutical, that's not right. Um, 
in their Pharisee garb. Like, and it's, Jesus tells other parables of like wearing you know, these big things on their forehead and, and saying these big, long, beautiful prayers so that everyone can see how cool they are. So it's either someone in street clothes or maybe someone was like, I'm not going to put on those clothes that everybody else has on. I'm better than that. I'm going to wear my full regalia of nice clothes and so everyone can come and greet me and know that I... We, we, we don't know. There's, there's different interpretations of that. But either way, the clear interpretation is this, that this person did not conform to what everyone else was doing. They did not conform to, and that's a bad thing in this circumstance because God himself is saying, okay, he's providing the clothes, and this person is not conforming to the will of God and a part of the kingdom. So, okay, that, that makes more sense as to why in this parable that person is thrown out. They were an outsider trying to be, they snuck in, and they're not conforming themselves to God. And so what is, this last point is, what is the final stinger? That's what, oh, where, where is she? Annalise said that's like this one, t- this last little ending of most of the parables. Uh, I heard a number that out of all the parables, something like 40 or 50 parables, only nine of them do not end in a one-line little stinger. And the one-line stinger sentence and the end of this parable is... Many are invited, few are chosen. It's like, oh, the invite goes out to all these people. It goes out to the religious leaders. It goes out to the people that should be, I'm using air quotations, invited. And when they don't come, they get unchosen, maybe. It's maybe one way to look at it. And when they're unchosen, then the invitation goes out even further to the poor, the lame, the cripple. Um, And when, when the people come in, it goes out the invitation into God's kingdom goes out to anyone who will come. It's like, oh, that, this is beginning to make a lot more sense now. This parable is about the kingdom of God, not an not a, not a earthly kingdom. However, the kingdom of God is on earth. But this parable is about maybe salvation and coming to God. It's like, oh, there's many people invited, but only a few are chosen. So how do I get chosen? You just, you know, come in, it's like bust in, you sneak into the kingdom. No, you conform to God's ways. Because if you just sneak into the kingdom, you're not going to be wearing the right clothes, so to speak. If you're not wearing the right clothes, you really don't belong there. So keep thinking about that. I think the main point is this. I'm going to give you one more discussion question. This one maybe uh, cuts a little bit more to the heart of what we're getting to in this parable. But this question is this. What are ways we can just look spiritual and not conform to God? And that's, it's very easy to do. It's very easy for me as a pastor to, to look spiritual and really not have my heart conformed to God. But I think this is really what this parable is about, conforming ourselves to God, not just receiving the invitation, but actually going. And when we go, conforming to what God wants. So would you discuss that at your tables? You might have to be uh, a little bit quick because we don't have too much time left, but ready? Gazette, Mr. Higgins. Can always count on Mr. Higgins. Thank you. You could be a pastor. You could be a pastor and look at gosh, that's me. <laughs> but what I mean by that is that uh, it's very easy as as a pastor or as someone who teaches to, with a title, sure. Yeah, to, to yeah, teach yeah. to and everyone around them thinks, oh, they're super spiritual. And, and the reality is you as a pastor many times have no one to talk to, that you don't have someone that you can go to to, yeah. to connect that spirituality with that head knowledge. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Jesus, if we're talking about the Pharisees, they were ones that did not conform their lives to God. 
and yet had the title and had the clothes. Anybody else? You do? Okay. That's Kayla. Um, I think without even having a title, just like being in your workplace and being maybe the only Christian, one of the one of few Christians in sure. your workplace, you know, you could be looked at as really spiritual, but in all reality, you know, is your heart conformed to God? Are you are you truly seeking Him the way yeah. that you would? I don't know. Yeah. How many of you are referred to as like the Reverend in your workplace or anything? Anybody? There's a couple hands. Like, yeah, they call me the Reverend. They call me the Pastor. Um, Mr. Jordan. Yes. Thank you. You could have the coexist bumper sticker. Have the what bumper sticker? The coexist bumper sticker. The coexist? Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. The, the one that's like, oh, all religions are great. I'm spiritual. Oh, you could have a Christian bumper sticker too. What would Jesus do? The WWJD bracelet. Yeah. Does anybody have one of those? They're like old. Now they're coming back. They're like cool. <laughs> I th- maybe maybe not. I just laughed. Sorry, just kidding. They're not coming back. Um, <clears throat> I thought. Um, a really great way, a really bad way, but a really effective way of looking spiritual is, of course, uh, studying Scripture and making a point of studying Scripture. I think we in our social media worlds, it's very easy to post things about how spiritual we are. <clears throat> I think this last week, I didn't see any of these, and I was really grateful, but uh, this last week has been a week of prayer and fasting. Pray 168, that's the number of hours in a week. And I know uh, it, it would be really easy to brag about what you're doing. Just fasted today, just spent eight hours in the World Prayer Center, hashtag I'm awesome, um, I'm so spiritual. It could be, it, you, could, you could look spiritual. Jesus rebukes guys like this. This is a guy who's dressed as a Pharisee. And what, the, what Jesus rebukes the Pharisees the most for, at least in my mind, of, of what they were doing, was they were calling out other people. And that's a really effective way of looking spiritual. When you point out the sin in somebody else, you look really spiritual. But what about to God? Are you conforming to Him and to His ways? I'm going to conclude with one last uh, mini parable, another parable I heard and kind of conforming, so it's not my parable. But there was once a class, a class of, um, not sure what, what grade do you work on uh, arithmetic? Where's Katie? First grade. Um, so teacher has a bunch of apples in the front. And she's like, I have three apples. If I give you one apple, how many apples do I have? Like that kind of lesson. And there was a kid who was mentally disabled in the class and and just could not get it, like was beyond getting arithmetic. And the teacher wanted to include the student. His name was Johnny. So really want to include him in the discussion at least and knew that Johnny knew his colors. So the teacher holds up the apple and says, Johnny, I have a question for you. What color is this apple? Just kind of like handing him up you know, an easy pitch so he could hit a home run and impress the class. <clears throat> and Johnny said, it's white. And the teacher's like, all the students are like, oh, that's wrong. Everyone knows apple isn't white, it's red. And, and Johnny's like, no, 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 it is. Let me show you, let me show you. And the, and the teacher's like, uh. Johnny comes up and takes a big bite of the apple and shows the class. Look, it's white. It's like, well, that's, it is. The, the majority of the apple, I don't, I don't know what percentage, 90-something, is white. And it's just that tiny little skin on the apple that's red, and it makes it red. And Jesus tells parables to get to the heart of our being as Christians, as humans. Jesus doesn't tell all these facts about what the kingdom is like. He instead gives parables that cut right into 
the heart of who we are, the white of our lives, the, the deep innards of who we are and what we believe. So let's pray this morning as we conclude. God, we, as your servants, come before you and we give you all honor and praise that, that we might conform our lives to you, not to just look spiritual, but to be your people, for you are our God and we are your people. God, you've come before us and you have taken us out of slavery, the yoke of slavery to sin, and you've given us life. And God, we want to go into your kingdom, the, the land that you have promised to us, the people that have gone before us. God, we want to appear before you holy, clean, conformed to you, to your likeness, and not like people that that sneak in somehow or try to impress others to pretending that we are really and truly in your kingdom. But God, we want to be in it. We want to be in it because you've called us and we want to be in it because we're conforming our lives to you, to your ways, to your glory here on earth. So we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We love you. We honor you. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.